Hey, good morning. That was for, oh, yeah, it's first time doing scripture reading here. That dude commands. <laughs> you, guys, you guys all sit out like, oh, yes, sir. <laughs> hey, I want to welcome you all. Uh, if it's your first time here, my name is Ricardo Stewart. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, and we're just glad you guys can be here with us. Um, Christmas is always an interesting season for us here as a congregation because of just the demographics of our congregation. Many people are gone to be with family, and we've, we've seen that many families are actually here uh, to be with loved ones. And so I know there's a lot of visitors here, and I'm just glad you guys can be with us here and get a chance to see our children and uh, do their play and um, they did a great job because those kids did that at the 9 a.m. They stayed here all the way through the first service, stayed around afterwards and came back and did it again. Same kids. And so uh, if you ever see these kids around again, just just tell them you love them and thanks for for that. Other thing is Sage, who read scripture here, I'm already recruiting her to start reading scripture every Sunday for us because that was amazing. It was amazing. Few announcements that I have. Um, given that we have some some, some newcomers here, uh, you've you've been li- hearing the word Advent tossed around and Advent conspiracy, and Jim explained that a little bit. Uh, just just so that you're caught up with this, um, Advent is a word that means coming or arrival. Um, it's something that the Christi- Christians have been celebrating for years, um, the arrival of Christ Jesus, Christmas, and then looking forward to the second time in which Christ would come to restore, to renew uh, all the things that have been broken in this world because of Christ Jesus, um, what he's done on our behalf to restore all things. And so that's why we celebrate Advent. And with that, um, at all our congregations in Redemption, we take an opportunity to have an Advent offering. This year in Tempe, we've picked two organizations in which we are going to give. The first organization was Crisis Pregnancy Center. Uh, Crisis Pregnancy Center is a center that a center that helps people who are going through uh, uh, birth, people who are post-abortive, people who need classes, resources. They come alongside men and women to educate them and to resource them um, in their lives. And um, there is actually going to be a center that's being built now here in Tempe. Uh, it's going to be the, the closest uh, crisis pregnancy center in all the country to a major university. And so we're excited about that. And the way that we're going to help them is that we're giving presents. Meaning for the past few weeks, we've been, we've been donating hours, volunteer hours for the year of 2013, signing up that we're going to donate hours uh, to help that facility. The second organization is Christian Family Care. And Christian Family Care is here in Phoenix, and they do a great job at equipping and training parents, Christian families that are going to have the call on them to adopt kids. And so today is our offering for them. So after the message is over, uh, we're going to have an opportunity. The guys are going to hand around baskets to be able to give above and beyond our normal giving to bless the Christian Family Care. Now, the money that we're going to give today will go specifically towards families that are adopted, have the call from God to adopt children with disabilities. Um, Usually that's more uh, costly. Uh, Christian Family Care is a private organization, so they're not getting money from the state. And so we as a church said we're going to come alongside these particular families to help offset some of those costs because we do trust and know that they're called by God to adopt these children. And so later we'll have an opportunity to give towards that either here or online, and we'll get some information for that. Uh, Lastly, tomorrow we will have separate services here at 5 p.m. and 11 p.m. At 5 p.m., there will be child care options for ages one through three. We felt like that's the best age to not be in here. And so there'll be uh, in children's ministry and you can bring the babies in here. Um, If you do want to bring your kids, we'll have coloring books as well as crayons so they can not listen to me and just color. So it's fine. Um, And so we'll we'll have an opportunity for that. And then 11 p.m., no child care options. Uh, The 11 p.m. service has proved to be really, really fun. And so if you can stay up that late, uh, I recommend that you come to the 11 p.m. If not, we'll see you all at the 5 p.m. service. Um, if you don't have a Bible, why don't you raise your hand, or raise your hand and uh, keep your hand up, and one of the guys will get you a Bible. 
If you do have one, why don't you meet me at Matthew? We're going to start here. We're going to spend our time kind of narrating through uh, the Old Testament. Matthew chapter 1, the verse that we just had read. Again, keep your hand raised high, and one of the guys, one of the gals will get you a copy. If you don't own a Bible, uh, just go ahead and keep the one that we give you. We want you to have that, so it's a gift from us to you that you can have a copy of God's Word. And so with, with Christmas um, and the Christmas weekend, having a Sunday, then tomorrow being Christmas Eve, there's, there's many churches that do different things on it. They're, they're usually do the same service on Sunday as well as Monday. We've decided to do two different services, um, primarily because we do believe that the Christmas narrative, the story of Christmas and the story of Advent has so much in it. And there's so many different perspectives in which we can look at the birth of Christ. One way to do it is people would go to the Gospel of John and look at the Word of God becoming flesh. So true that God himself would put on flesh to be with us. Another way to look at it would be to look at the Gospel of Luke, which we'll look more at tomorrow, which shows the angelic beings and the shepherds and the wise men, which we just had up here, just much younger. Um, and the baby Jesus, just more plastic. Um, that, that, that story is a beautiful story. But what I wanted to do and what we wanted to do this morning is take some time to look at that word, that one word that came in the verses that we read in verse 23. And it says, behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel. We we just sing a song not too long ago about Emmanuel, which means God with us. God is with us. And we, we, we love that theme of God being with us, that God draws near to us. And not just in an abstract sense, that God is omnipresent and he's everywhere, but, but more clearly seen through the life, through the death, through the resurrection of our son, or, uh, the Lord's Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. And so when it says that God wants to be with us, we wanted to look at Christmas and see if the theme is love all, how did Jesus love all? Because the way that you express love for people, and especially those who you love, You'll do whatever it takes to travel to be with him. Now, some of you have traveled from different places. I met families that came from Iowa, from Illinois, to come to be with your family here. Now, some of you have traveled different countries to be here, to be with the ones who you love. Not to be here in this room, but to be with the people who are in this room. People who you love and want to be around. And you want to be around their families and their kids. And you want their kids to be around your kids. And you'll do whatever it takes to get there, um, even though the travel could be somewhat bumpy. Last Christmas, my family, my wife and I and our two boys, young boys, uh, decided to go to, to Tennessee. We rented a cabin with my, my side of the family, my entire family, and one cabin in Tennessee. I'm um, about 20 plus people, aunts, uncles, kids, children, ducks, cats, everything, right? It's just the whole family's there. And we decided, okay, we're going to take a trip to go there. And so we flew just the worst traveling experience. We, tr- we flew from Phoenix to Dallas, from Dallas to Nashville. From Nashville, we rented a car for three hours. Young kids. Um, three hours, we drove to Knoxville. Knoxville, my mom came, picked us up, and we dropped the car off at the airport there. Why did we just fly to Knoxville? I'll tell you about that later. And then my mom drives us up in the mountains to a place called Pigeon Forge. Um, if you've never heard of Pigeon Forge, there's a place there called Dolly's World. Yeah. And if you've never heard of Dolly's World, consider yourself blessed, right? Sometimes I ask myself, why was my side of the family going in the mountains of Tennessee near Dolly's World, right? Makes no sense at all, but that's not the point of my story. So we get there, we're with our family, and it's great. My family is amazing. My wife's family is amazing as well, but my family is just more amazing. 
And, and it's so unique because my family is loud. Everyone talks at the same time. And I like to tell people um, what Holly has noticed about my family. She said, everyone in your family is strong-willed. How could you have everyone in your family? The kids are strong-willed. Like, everyone wants to win, and everyone wins. And not because we just go, oh, no, you get it. It's like, no, I'm going to win this. I I like to say the the way that you actually succeed in my family, you win by just tapping out and saying, you know what, I'm done. You win. All right? Loud. It's crazy. Best time. Best time. And the the trip was worth it. But the trip didn't end there. To get back home, we went with my uncle. Um, We were going to fly out of Atlanta to Dallas, to Phoenix. Atlanta was a a four-hour drive. My uncle said, I know a shortcut. We can go through the mountains, three hours. Hey, isn't it snowing? Ah, we'll be able to get through it. Halfway up the mountains, they stop us and say, no, it's snowing. You can't drive through here. So we have to go around the other way. Seven hours, we get little kids. Um, back Back to Atlanta. Atlanta to Houston, layover from Houston back to Phoenix. And I said, you know what? I'm never doing that again, ever. I'm never going to Tennessee or I don't even care if I ever miss my family again, right? But the trip, the trip was worth it. The trip was worth it. And the reason why we took that long trip is because my wife saved us like 16 bucks on that whole trip. I mean, she's like, <laughs> like diapers. <laughs> and so we, we did it. We did it. God bless her heart. <laughs> the, the point is, we'll do, we'll do whatever it takes to be with those who we desire to be with. And so when we think of Emmanuel for Christmas, we have to look at God's journey. And we have to see how, how, how desperately God and his love for us desire to be with us. And the journey that he took was the most unlikely journey. What he shows, what Emmanuel shows us, God is with us. Not just God being with us, but God desires to be with us. And what the story of Christmas lets us know is God desires to be with the most unlikely people. You see, I love my family. It's easy for me to go be with them. We're related. We have, we have family together. We have, we have memories together. That's not the story of God. He didn't have memories with us. We were enemies with him, and yet God so loved us, it says that he sent his only son. And when you look at the journey of Christ, what you see through the journey of Christ, and to him coming to this manger, is that God himself took an unlikely path through unlikely people to unlovable people. And so when I talk about the backstory of Christmas and the journey of God, I'm not talking so much Christ coming from heaven and deity, but looking at the humanity of Christ. Certainly he's fully God, but he's also fully man. And so instead of looking at John and and John's gospel or looking at Luke's and Luke's gospel, it's looking at Matthew and Matthew's gospel. The first six verses of Matthew chapter 1, it just gives us a bunch of names that seem somewhat obscure. But if we look a little closer, we can see the story of the unlikely people that God chose to be with, which gives us a glimpse of the true story of Christmas. Matthew chapter 1 verse 1, the book of genealogy of Jesus Christ. The son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob. And Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah the father of Perez, and Perez and Zerah of Tamar. And Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram. And Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nishan. And Nishan the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And when we read those names, we go, that's usually the part, Ricardo, we skip over. (laughs) We don't read those names. But I think if we can understand something, what what my professor and uh, theologian Ray Bakke says, we can see the grandmas of Christmas past. 
That if you want to see that God himself desires to be with the unlovable, the outsider, the most unlikely, what you do is you look at this genealogy that Matthew is telling this story, uh, the background of Christmas and how we get to this young virgin mother named Mary and this baby Jesus. And those four names, the the grandmas of Christmas past, we see here and we we hear their story. First, we have Tamar. Tamar, we learn about and we hear about in Genesis chapter 38. Um, She is the the daughter-in-law of a man named Judah, and she marries his oldest son, and it says that he was wicked, and God took him off the face of the earth. And then she married the next son, and he was wicked, and God took him off the face of the earth. Well, here is this woman, attractive woman, no children, and she desired to be a part of this family. She was not a part of God's chosen covenant people. And and the father, Judah at that moment, he looks at her and thinks something's wrong with her. He doesn't look at his kids, he thinks something's wrong with her. And he's thinking, married one son, he died. Married another son, he died. I'm not giving you to any more of my sons. He's like, it's not happening. Something's wrong with you, right? And so he says, go away to your family. Just go be with your family. Well, she does. But she's relentless. And then she proceeds to do something I would never have any of our young females do. Very, very shady. Um, she wants to be a part of this family so bad, she wants the lineage to continue that she decides to dress herself up um, as a, um, there's kids in the room, think pretty woman, right? And so she dresses herself up and she works the, the, the side of the road waiting for her father-in-law to come. And her father-in-law, he comes by, he sees her, doesn't recognize that it's her, and he decides to um, pay her for um, relationships, and, and so she says, okay, do you have the money? And she goes, he goes, I don't have the money. I got a credit card. And he goes, well, give me your credit card. What's your credit card? And back then they didn't have like a little credit card, a little sparky sign on. They had like a ring. And so he gave her the ring and says, okay. Well, word gets back later that she's, she has a baby. She's pregnant. And, and then word gets back to Judah and Judah's upset. He goes, wait, Tamar's pregnant? He doesn't know that he's the daddy, Right. He calls her in and she says, well, before I come in, before he scolds me, how about you give him this ring and let him know the man that, that, that made me pregnant, uh, the one who got me pregnant, um, this is his ring, his signet ring. And this is not just a ring. He would have known, ooh. So as soon as he got the ring, he told his guys, oh, yeah. Yeah, just tell her to come in, right? And then he praises her. Most, like a scandalous act, right? She sells herself. That, that's not a way to be a part of someone's family just in case you didn't know. And Judah, Judah looks at her and says, you are more blessed than I am. You, you get this more than I do. I pushed you away and you pushed your way back in. And then she had a child. This scandalous woman was also a great, great grandmother of Jesus in the lineage of Christ. The next woman that, that Matthew gives us a, a, a glimpse into is a woman by the name of Rahab. And Rahab, too, equally as scandalous, equally as immoral, maybe a little bit worse. In fact, we read about Rahab in Joshua chapter 2, Joshua chapter 6. Um, the, James also talks about her in James chapter 2. And one of the words that he uses to describe her is the Greek word porne, where we get the word, you know. That's what type of woman she was. She had her own business. Um, she had her own clients. She made money. And the type of business that she ran was a very shady business, all right? Um, very shady. You should go back and read it. Again, Joshua chapter 2, Joshua chapter 6, very, very R-rated. Uh, again, the, comp- the, the business that she ran, I don't know what the name of it was, but she ran the hotel of uh, Jericho. She ran a hotel. <laughs> it 
There's some crazy things in the Bible. But for whatever reason, Rahab, she hears about the all-sovereign, the almighty, the all-powerful God, and that his people were coming to the land. And what does she do? She looks at her place, and my guess is she says, I don't have a whole lot of vacancy, but I have a few, and let me hide you guys in here and protect you, which was showing her faith. And what we see, what Matthew does, is he takes this same woman who was not a part of the covenant people as well, who was an outsider, who was immoral, who didn't grow up going to church. And she's also a part of this lineage. And as it continues to progress, we find another woman, one who I really, really love, one of my favorite characters in the Bible. And we spent some time talking about this woman. Her name is Ruth. There's a whole book about Ruth, four chapters. Ruth herself was a Moabite. She was married to a Hebrew man who died. And if you know anything about the Moabites, the Moabites were a people that were disdained. They were descendants of Sodom. And you don't have to grow up in church. You don't have to ever have read the Bible to know that people from Sodom usually don't go well. That's who Ruth was. Well, Ruth's mother is living now in her country, decides to leave and go back to her kinsmen. And Ruth says, Naomi, I want to go with you. I want your God to be my God. And I want your people to be my people. And so she clings to Naomi and she comes back and she works as a peasant, as a servant girl. And then she finds this man named Boaz, who's an older man, rich man. I don't know if she was ever attracted to Boaz, but she liked Boaz. And it could have, I'm not, I'm just saying, she liked him. Um, most people don't date people with the name Boaz, but Ruth liked him. In the most unlikely events, here's this foreign, foreign woman again, Boaz, there's, there's, a, there's a great celebration, there's a great party, Boaz is hanging out with his friends, they head down the Four Peaks, had a couple IPAs, he goes, that's it, I'm godly, so he's going to go home. He goes home by himself, he's not married, steps into his bed, he sleeps, all of a sudden he feels this cold draft amongst his feet, and he looks up, and Ruth's there, uncovering his feet, looking at him, and in some weird way saying, marry me, right? And Boaz says, absolutely. (laughs) You had me at uncovering my feet, right? Just a weird, weird, weird. And what, what happens is Ruth and Boaz, they have a kid. And that kid has a kid. And it's in the line of the, the divinic line. And the last woman that Matthew gives us here, another, another grandmother of Christmas past, another woman who's outside of God's covenant chosen people, another woman full of disgrace, another woman who, just looking at circumstances then and even circumstances now, that we would look at and go, what type of woman is this? In fact, if you, if you look in Matthew chapter, six, chapter 1, verse 6, it's what it says, And David was the father of Solomon, by the wife of Uriah. Matthew doesn't even say her name. Her name is Bathsheba. And we read about Bathsheba in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and chapter 12. One of the great stories of the Bible. Of a, of a man named David who was a, who was a man by God's own words. Chosen by, chosen, a man after God's own heart. God said that. That, that. That's who David was. And you have this woman Bathsheba. She was married to a man named Uriah. A Hittite. Um, outside of God's covenant people. Uriah's off the war fighting for David. Um, she, she's missing her husband. She, she, she finds herself taking a shower. David happens to find her taking a shower. And David begins to proceed to call her to himself and commit adultery. 
And the story just unfolds. David tries to hide because he finds out that, that Bathsheba is pregnant with David's kid. And so David works out a, a series of circumstances and events in order to have Uriah the Hittite, one of his faithful men, killed. And so now you have this woman. Her, she makes a senseless act of adultery. Um, now her husband has been essentially murdered. And now she's pregnant with a man who may or not even want to be with her. And then God gives word through Nathan, the prophet, to David. But the child's not going to live. And so she has this baby. And the baby lives for a short period of time, and the baby dies. So now we have Bathsheba, husband gone, baby gone, in a relationship with a man where it started off with an adulterous affair. Okay, listen, these are not people that we would esteem. And yet Matthew includes them in here. This woman does not have a child, and up until this point, she's going to have no, there's no reason for her to even be in here. And yet God has favor upon her. Not because of her, in spite of her, God shows her grace. And a part of the means of his grace and a part of the means of his favor, he gives him another child. And not just a child, but a son, someone to carry the name whose name is Solomon, who's also a part of the line of Jesus. Well, you continue to look at this, this, this genealogy, and it forwards all the way to the woman of Mary. And sometimes because of weird understandings that we have of of our Catholic brothers and sisters that we don't want to really focus on Mary a lot, but we need to focus on Mary. Mary, Mary was the mother of Jesus. In fact, even contextually in our situation of saying we're going to partner with Crisis Pregnancy Center and Christian Family Care, I believe Mary makes sense in both organizations. First, in Crisis Pregnancy Center, listen, you have this young, dark-skinned teenage woman who's pregnant. Um, she's been pure her entire life. She promises people she's been trying to do the right thing. She was raised in a conservative family and a conservative env- environment. She finds herself pregnant. Her husband, her, the, the guy she's going to marry, he doesn't really know. Um, people are looking at her having to think she's lying. And so just think about the social pressure that she has. And she makes a decision to keep that child. She'd have been, she'd have been perfect for crisis pregnancy center. Or on the flip side, Christian family care. There's an organization of adoption. Mary was chosen by God. God has a son. His name is Jesus. He's always existed as the second person of the Trinity. When he puts on flesh, God himself says, you, teenage girl, I want you to raise the child who would be the savior of the world. That's a great task and also a calling by God. You see, when we look at the circumstances of Christmas, when we look at the backstory of Christmas, there's a few things that we learn. We see that when God says, Emmanuel, he shall be Emmanuel, he's not Emmanuel, God is with us, God who desires to be with those who have has himself cleaned up. He's not saying, I'm Emmanuel, I'm only with those who have grown up in the church, only those who have been a part of Awana or VBS. He says, no, I'm with all types of people. So the theme of love all is that God came in this world, he shows us, Matthew shows us, that God has a desire in Christ Jesus to love all types of people, no matter the background, no matter the family. Whether you are a self-righteous bigot, or whether you're an irreligious, licentious man or a woman. It's not just the women that Matthew says here are sinners, but it's also the men. I think there's another thing that I think Matthew has given us here as he tells the backstory of Christmas is Matthew's story. You see, Matthew knew what it was like to be raised, quote-unquote, in the church. He knew what it was like to walk away. He knew what it was like to come to Christmas services, to come to Easter services here and there. But you know what? He happened to go through a particular incident. He has a particular job that he has that people of his his believing family and, and friends, they don't like, and he's pushed aside. And yet when Christ came, he calls him. He calls him. 
So I believe Matthew's gospel, Matthew's account of the Christmas narrative and how we get to this young virgin woman, ultimately who gives birth to a savior, shows us Emmanuel in the clearest sense. Because in the same way that we see all these random names with these horrible stories in the genealogy of Christ that we can trust now post the life, death, and resurrection of Christ Jesus that by faith, whatever our narrative is and whatever our background is, whatever we've done, present, past, or future in Christ Jesus, we are part of this. That, that God so desires to be with us. That he has come to wash, to renew And not not just to make us good people, but to make us a part of his family. And so the distance that God traveled to him was worth it. The distance that God would travel from the manger ultimately to the cross and from the cross to the tomb and from the tomb back to the right hand of the father is because God himself knew that through Christmas he was planning an adoption. And the adoption that God was planning was for children who were not a part of him. These outsiders that Matthew talks about, it's, it's us spiritually we are all born apart from God by nature and by sin and choice that we were separated. And God, through the baby, gave his son in order that his son would give his life freely so that all of us, no matter what our past may be, no matter what our backgrounds may be, no matter what we've done or what we would do, we'll be a part of his family. So when we say Merry Christmas, we mean Merry Christmas, the greatest gift in this world is that God desires to be with us. And the question I want to leave you with is, it's not that God doesn't desire to be with you. He, we, we see he desires to be with you. Do you desire to be with God? God accepts you, not just for who you are. He accepts you for who you are in his son, Christ Jesus. Would you receive that gift? The, the, the question is not so much, does, does God love us? We clearly see God so loved us, he gave his son Jesus. The question would be, do we love God? Do we believe that our story fits? If there's anything that Matthew's let us know, no matter what our story is, we fit because of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray.